you. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. And it just reminds me of times over the last 15 years. I've stood here a few times at different occasions and, and participated in our shared services and, and so on. So it's really it's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, great to express our unity in, as churches in this somewhat token way, but it, but it is a meaningful commitment of all of the nine or so churches in Waldersleigh that we are one church meeting in nine different places. Um, the ministers meet um, once or twice a month for lunch and, and for prayer. Uh, we share in different projects and so on together over the years. So it's really good to express it in this uh, specific way. And it's a joy to uh, preach about tithing to you. So there you go. Let's have my uh, outline, please. Thank you very much. Uh, so if you just want to cast your eye over this, this is where we're going. Hopefully beginning, middle and end. Um, the verses that we heard read for us and also a couple of others which were added in the, uh, the teaching material and then several others that I've personally added. So I've picked up for my title this um, phrase from Paul in one of the verses we heard, this grace of giving. And that is the subject for today. My introduction. The words of Jesus as he sent out his 12 disciples in one of the early missions that they had while he was uh, in his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 10, these beautiful words. And if only we had one phrase to remember about what's the Christian faith all about, this would do pretty well. Freely you received, freely give. If you could just have that as a hook in your mind, whenever you're in any situation where you're explaining about the Christian faith or you want to share your faith, if you had that as a structure for what you were going to say, it would just take care of every situation. You can expand on it, of course, but the words from our Lord Jesus Christ's lips, freely you have received, freely give. What a great summary that is. It sums up this subject that um, is in the, the program for today that you, you're following on the use of our finances and, and giving um, our money for the Lord's work. And in fact, actually, it sums up pretty much the whole of the Christian life. If we have that attitude at the basis, the foundation for all our Christian lives, then it pretty much sums it up. The Apostle John, when he was writing uh, his first letter, uh, put it in a completely different way, but meaning exactly the same thing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The priority of his initiative in love and in action on our behalf and our response. So our Christian lives should be just uh, characterised by a response to the grace of God. As we think of the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. The shepherd um, giving his life for our salvation to wash us clean from our sins, to redeem and rescue us from the sinful world. 
to give us the Holy Spirit as that gift and that deposit and that resource for us, to bring us into God's family as, our, as his sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters together, calling us to share in his love and calling us also to share in his mission of making that love known. All of our Christian lives are lived in the light of his abundant, overflowing and rich love to us. We love because he first loved us. Freely you have received, freely give. So let us see our uh, serving of him as his disciples. And let us see our, our membership of the historic worldwide uh, church and our membership of our local church, this church and the group of churches in Maldeslade. Let us see our belonging to that and our Christian living day by day, uh, seven days a week as a response to his generous love. And let us live in that attitude of mind um, and, uh, and, and therefore have um, formed some habits of discipleship. So it's not just what we do for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, but uh, something that permeates through our whole lives and, be- and is expressed in habits. Things that, after all, we don't have to think about. They just happen because we have, in a disciplined way, put them into practice as a response of our love, as, as small as it may seem, a response of our love to his love. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's get uh, on to the point then about tithes and offerings, which the Old Testament, that phrase comes from different places in the Old Testament. How do we give? How do we work out um, how much we give uh, in an in a offering that's taken in the church or in other, in other ways? Do we kind of, you know, get to, the, get to church and think, oh, how much have I got left over that will make the most noise in the plate and cost me the less? Or is there a different way? There is a different way. And uh, the, uh, the wonderful reading that we had read for us, I do really encourage you to read that chapter and the following chapter. It's, it's a sort of segment of that second letter to church at Corinth where Paul is, um, in a very diplomatic way, is trying to sort of twist their arm a little bit about their giving. But he does it by encouragement, by pricking their conscience, by the example of others, by exhortation, by Bible teaching, using all the, all the methods that a, a minister has to, you know, to, to, um, to enable money to be given. And of course it's not for Paul, it's not for the Corinthian church, it's for the church in Judea which as, uh, that area got, had gone through um, a, a bit of a famine, literally, um, of uh, failure of crops and so on. The Christians who often were shut out of, uh, through persecution, shut out of um, sort of sharing fully in the economic benefits of, of an area, and they found themselves particularly hard-pressed. And so Paul is taking a collection which he says the Macedonian churches have already participated in. And the Macedonian churches, according to this reading, are the example and inspiration for Paul is using to teach the, the Corinthians. 
They are a great example in their giving. And through these two chapters, the word grace is repeated time and time and time again. You'll, you'll read it um, right the way through these two chapters, and, and even if you read the Greek, it comes out even more. And the, the centre of it is that final verse that we had read for us, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Um, Just an amazing summary. One of those few verses throughout the whole Bible which summarizes, you know, so much of our faith. Um, I think of that verse regularly, sort of Christmas time, because it's one of those things that summarizes what did the Son of God come to earth to do? giving up his riches so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Wonderful, inspiring. It's like the epicentre of waves of grace that ripple through these two chapters, that, that verse. Why should we give? Why should we do anything? Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the other words of generosity and that sort of thing occur time and again as well. The Macedonian churches are an example of this grace of giving. And my question to you today is, are you an example of that? Are you as individuals and as a church? Uh, Paul gives us a little equation there in verse uh, 2. the, The overflowing joy of the Macedonian churches, plus their extreme poverty equals, now we would never say this, but he says, their rich generosity. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty, what would you make that equal? For them, equals extreme generosity. Are you personally known as a generous person? Or are you a person that draws the the attention of others, the time of others, the energy of others to yourself, your own needs, your own convenience, your own satisfaction. What about this church? Are you known as a church full of grace, full of generosity? How then should we as Christians decide on how we set about giving money how, how do we set about how do we think through um, what we should do as regards to our local church uh, worldwide needs of the church and of, of disasters and other, other charitable um, appeals how do we decide what to do well the New Testament never mentions tithing at all that idea of giving a tenth this is what it means, of course. It, it occurs regularly in the Jew, uh, Jewish scriptures, but it does not occur at all in the New Testament. And some Christians have justified, uh, therefore, saying, well, we don't need to be under that law stuff. You know, well, I'll just give as the Spirit leads me. Um, and it often, strangely, the Spirit seems to lead them to give less than, than their Old Testament um, brothers and sisters. Um, well, as the, the New Testament doesn't mention the tithe, but it does say we're not under law, we're under grace. And the whole point of grace is that it fulfills what the law 
commands of Israel, but not because of we're looking and checking a, a set of rules and regulations, but because that overflowing joy and love is within our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed to us, and therefore we, we find ourselves fulfilling the law without even knowing it, without even knowing that that's what we're doing. And so there's absolutely no question in my mind that Paul cannot possibly have meant, you know, forget about the old Jewish stuff, the law stuff. He must have been, he must, and I'm sure now, looking at the whole scriptures as we can, we can see there's no possibility that we should sort of put that aside. Rather use it as a basis, a foundation for expressing the grace that we have received. Our heart and our spirit as Christians is meant to be infused with the love of Christ. And therefore we fulfil that which the law um, required. Paul says things like this when he's talking about his own um, Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. How he expresses that, that immense gratitude. And uh, 2 Corinthians, just a couple of pages before, chapter um, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. The love of Christ infuses us, and therefore... This idea of tithing, working out what your income is, either on a weekly or monthly or annual basis, and then do that decimal thing. Move the point one, one, you know, make, make sure you get it the right direction. But, um, well, maybe not. It's so easy. It's uncomfortably easy to work out how much a tithe is. Weekly, monthly, on your pocket money, on your pension, on your savings, or the interest on them, on uh, profits that your business makes, on your salary, um, or your wages, whatever it may be, whatever income we have, here is the guidance of the scriptures for us, that we should give, however low or high our income, 10% of it. And uh, if, if our income is very low, and that sounds frighteningly high proportion, the promise, which uh, is in uh, chapter 9, one of the, the next uh, part of Paul's argument, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need. Uh, yes, okay, Paul, we get the idea, it's about all. Yes, God will provide... So if we are stepping out in faith on a very small income um, and saying 10%, you know, what, what am I going to give up to do this? Even then, that is the right thing to do because God promises he will provide. I'm sure some of you have been in that position. You've taken those steps of faith and God has rewarded and, and um, provided for you and been generous. As we learn generosity, as we enshrine those habits in our daily, weekly, monthly, annual um, sort of financial management of our, of our lives. Um, so as we learn generosity, so God gives more. 
And if we are comfortably off, by the standards of our culture here in Britain today, if we are comfortably off, or even if we are wealthy, then I am absolutely sure it's right to enshrine a higher percentage of giving. That we, uh, 10%, we might hardly notice. Well, we need to notice it. We ne- it needs to be something that, that is deliberately worked out and is then a habit, something that is uh, disciplined, something that is um, generous and sacrificial, actually. So let us not be limited by these things, but use the tithe as a basis for what we do of our worship and our Christian lives. And anyway, actually, the tithe came before the law, believe it or not. Uh, My last little reference on on this point, Genesis chapter 14. Fantastic, strange, weird story. One of those Old Testament stories that, you know, you think, you know, where did this come from? Why is this in the Bible? Uh, It's just so strange. Abraham is called to, is part of a, a tribal warfare on that particular chapter. It's a really strange Episode, And there are nine tribal leaders that are in this fight and some of Abraham's people and, and property is captured. And Abraham uh, goes to war. Now, we don't think of Abraham as a warrior very often, um, but um, uh, he, he uh, goes to war. He is, he is uh, successful. And just as the battle is over, they're near what became Jerusalem. And out of Jerusalem comes Melchizedek the king of Salem. He brings out bread and wine for Abram. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. So tithing predates the law anyway. Don't let that be a distraction to you. In those early chapters of the Bible... As Abraham, the father of faith, the father of all who are faithful, um, he gave that tenth. Just as a, an act of worship to God and thanksgiving to God, he gives this uh, gift to the priest, Melchizedek. And we should do the same. But secondly, let us beware of the complacency that wealth brings about. I am wealthy. That phrase which actually was in the teaching material, but I don't think it was, it was referring to this little uh, episode. The, uh, one of the letters to the early churches in uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 of the book, uh, where the, Lord, the risen, exalted Lord Jesus dictates letters. That, that's pretty rare in, in scriptural terms. But he did t- dictates letters to John, the um, apostle, And he says, get this letter to the church in Laodicea, or the seven churches. They're actually in Turkey. So there's Turks who are part of seven different churches. And the last one, the last letter is to Laodicea. And and Jesus, in his um, sweet and um, gentle way, uh, includes this in the letter. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I am wealthy, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Now, Jesus mincing his words there a little bit, you know, but the, the idea seems to be that they make him puke. 
their lukewarmness, their complacency, materialism actually, which we discover uh, about this church, their, their wealth, their literal physical wealth. And as a church, this attitude of wealth, we have everything we need, we are successful, we are wealthy. This attitude of wealth has has, has brought them into this sort of selfishness that God has blessed me, but I'm keeping that for myself. It's like damming the stream, preventing the flow of God's blessing, um, keeping it for ourselves. Beware that whether personally or as a church, that attitude enters into our thinking or our feeling. Beware the Laodicean church, the warnings given by Jesus, the reproof, the very, very strong reproof. But then, thankfully, at the end of the letter, the wonderful invitation, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. So, tremendous extremes, really, in that letter. But the the promise of, of Jesus to be with them... But this extreme, strict, harsh warning from the risen, exalted Christ. How blind this church were to the needs of others, to the um, uh, either not aware or willfully blind to the trials of their sister churches, some of those other churches in, in the group in Turkey. For example, the church in a town called Smyrna in chapter 2 of Revelation. Uh, Jesus speaks like this to them. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So it's one of those letters that, you know, things are bad and they're going to get worse. That's what Jesus is saying, unfortunately. But this other church, Laodicea, I am wealthy, we are wealthy, we have everything we need. And this sister church and the believers there suffering through poverty to begin with, but yet Jesus says they're rich, but then about to experience this persecution and this complacency in the other church. Let us be people who have eyes that look outwards from ourselves, aware of the needs of other uh, Christians, uh, whether in you know, the locality um, or uh, uh, the country or overseas. That, that, that solidarity, that generosity between one another is, uh, characterizes our relationships. And uh, just thinking on a practical level, how do we work out our own or our own tithe? Well, as I say, decimal point, easy thing to do, you know, whether monthly or annually, however your income is received. And generally, we say it as a church, um, I don't know whether people do it, but I hope they do, but we say as a church, half to two-thirds of your tithe to be given to the local church for the maintenance of ministry and witness um, where we are, where God has placed us, and the, the rest of the one-third or one-half to be given um, to other uh, Christian ministries and charitable needs. Um, but don't forget, don't think, oh, you know, tithe, once I've got my 10%, good, that's it, phew. 
the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament always talks about tithes and offerings. Ah, so there's something else is there. Yes, um, the Lord wants us to have that generous attitude that we should expect to try and give beyond that tenth. That we enshrine these habits of generosity in the way we way we live. And as a church, as a local church here, um, then uh, let's have that balance in our spending and how the PCC and, and the membership sort of allocate spending. That yes, we maintain uh, what, what, what leads to an effective and accessible ministry in the local church. That the, the place is... is Welcoming and and, and um, watertight, and effect can be used effectively, and, and the the spending of the, of the church budget be effective, but not to get sucked into what our culture does all the time. This sort of superficial gloss of wealth or of comfort. We have some sort of corporate image, you know, that everything looks, um, you know, very very expensive and all that sort of thing. Do not get sucked into the way our culture thinks. It will it won't get us anywhere really in the kingdom of God anyway we're called to go against the flow of our culture so let us make sure that the way we spend our our monies as local churches is in simplicity in plainness in effectiveness and accessibility and beware the thorns in the soil that Jesus talked about you know the parable of the sower and the the, the sower throwing out the seed um, and the, the, the third um, thing that happened the, the, the third um, uh, sort of tr- uh, trial or, or, or obstacle um, Jesus was saying that the, 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 the seed falling among thorns and then he explained it this way like a seed sown among thorns some hear the word but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful and the, 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 Jesus very very specifically and, and discerningly uh, describes the things that will be like thorns that will choke our Christian life and our growth. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. It's all materialism, really, um, in that, and he wants us to be aware of it. Finally, let's not think of ourselves as, uh, let's not think of our offering as giving or for a moment let's think of it as investing in the kingdom of god investing that's a, I tell you the kingdom of god is a good thing to invest in there will always be wonderful returns not maybe not immediately but there, it, it's worthwhile the sacrifice is worthwhile let's not think of ourselves as you know like I say coming to church what have i got left over that i can give but thinking of investing. How am I investing what God has given me in his kingdom? We Think of it this way. You've been endowed with a big share. You didn't buy it. It was given to you. You inherited it. This big share in the kingdom of God through the grace of God. You've received it. But now you have the chance to buy some shares yourself to gain the blessings of the kingdom of God. And we can have that joy of knowing and seeing that our gifts of money, but also gifts of time and energy, gifts of our love and our patience and our kindness and our determination, all these gifts 
that we invest in the kingdom of God will pay a dividend. We will see fruit from those things. That the, that the blind, those who are in darkness, will see the light of the glory of God. That those who are poor are fed and, are, and have enough to um, feed themselves and um, progress and develop. The good news is preached to the poor and, and the world is made a better place through what we give. And we also have the, the dividend or the reward in ourselves of, of seeing people set free to know God and become what God meant them to be. And we have that joy of sharing in uh, what Christ has given us, his gift of himself to us. We, uh, we participate in that as well. And that, that reward, that joy, that satisfaction of thinking, well, I'm okay, I'm just holding on to his coattails. But I'm, I'm with Christ and I'm participating in his mission as well, his ministry. And that my two pennyworth of gifts, as they may seem, are participating in the growth of his kingdom. I've invested and I'm going to see some reward um, for myself of sat- that satisfaction and, and uh, that participation in what Christ does. So to conclude, we think of grace overflowing. Think of living in the attitude of gratitude. Do you see how I did that? The attitude of gratitude. That that is a constant um, state of mind for us. That, and that attitude then overflows in other ways that we use the word grace. Gracefulness. It's not just talking about ballerinas. It's talking about people who are graceful in their attitudes, who are gracious. It's all the same kind of idea. It's the idea of receiving something, and so it flows to others. It overflows. That, and that attitude becomes then enshrined in habit of joyful sharing. So, um, and Paul goes on in the, in the chapters to, uh, these couple of chapters to, to encourage. So verse 8 of the next chapter. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all things in all times, having all you need, you will abound in all good works. You will be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. And... Uh, People who receive from you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Amen.